The Bible is full of images of living in the overflow of God's blessing. The prophet Malachi describes an uncontainable heaven burst of blessings poured out upon us. In Psalm 23, David describes our cups overflowing while we are being pursued by the goodness of God. Jesus was an overflow specialist. He said that he came to give us an overflowing, abundant joy, and that if we would just believe in him, that rivers of life would overflow from our hearts. He came to bring us full life. But the Bible makes it incredibly clear that God fills us so that we will overflow for others. He loves us so that we can love others. He forgives us so that we can forgive others. He gives us life so that we can be life givers. He blesses us so that we can be a blessing. We live in the overflow so that we can live generous lives. This is not about what God wants to get from you. It's about what he wants to give to you. Generous people simply live life, love life, and give life better. Join us for 50 days of teaching, practicing generosity, and generosity challenges that put a smack dab in the middle of God's overflowing generosity. Hello, Calvary Church. It's great to be spending some time with you today. Uh, my name is Scott. I'm one of the pastors here at Calvary Harvest Fields. And whether you're joining us online or from one of our sites, uh, super encouraged that you're here. We're currently in a series that is talking about living in the overflow of God's generosity. We've talked about overflowing gratitude, overflowing grace, overflowing life, and now overflowing hospitality. As we seek to live generous lives, we will find ourselves living directly in the overflow of God's generosity. As we seek to live more generous lives, we'll find ourselves more often living in God's overflowing generosity. And the more we experience God's overflowing generosity, the more easily we'll find it to let his goodness overflow into the lives of those around us. So it's all about living in the overflow so that we can then express and share the overflow of God's generosity. As I mentioned today, we're going to be talking about the idea of biblical hospitality. As I've been getting this message ready, I've become more convinced than ever that biblical hospitality is one of the most powerful and oftentimes overlooked weapons at our disposal. Now you might think, weapons? I'll explain that in a bit. But first, I want to take a couple minutes to read 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 5, verses 17 uh, to 20 together. So it says this, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone, the new is here. All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors. As though God were making his appeal through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. Now, if you've heard me uh, speak before, you know that I oftentimes like to start with a story about some aspect of my life, marriage, family, that sort of a thing. Today, uh, the story that I want to open up with is uh, the one I want to start with is, is more my wife's story uh, than my story. But, you know, there's the, the, the scripture says two, the, the two become one flesh. Uh, so her stories are mine and vice versa. 
Also, for anybody concerned, I ask permission because I'm not totally inept at this marriage thing. Uh, a while back, I'm going to say maybe around six months, it could have been a little bit longer, I was having a conversation with my wife, her name's Thea, and she had mentioned to me that she was feeling a bit um, adrift in her personal mission and that she was feeling kind of an overall sense of just being disconnected uh, from the mission and vision of Calvary and, and was kind of hoping to find her space, kind of her sweet spot. Uh, however, whenever we uh, kind of talked about it, whenever she tried to think uh, of what she might be able to do or what she felt good at, uh, she often kind of ended up feeling like she didn't have a ton to offer uh, or that there wasn't really time in our schedule uh, to do the stuff that she was considering doing. So she kind of had this burden on her heart to find a place and was really struggling to figure out what that might look like. I actually encouraged her at one point to do a coaching session with Betsy Forney. Uh, if you don't know Betsy, she's an awesome Calvary lady, uh, and she's in a very similar life stage as Thea, married with some young kids, that sort of a thing. And uh, Thea was not overly excited at the idea of having this coaching conversation. There was some nervousness, and I think there was some fear that like, well, what if I really start to dig in to like, where's, where's my place? What do I have to offer? And I find out uh, I don't have a place or I don't have anything to offer. And so there was some trepidation there, but she did end up scheduling some time to chat with Betsy. I think they met at Barnes & Noble and ended up going for like close to two hours or something. And when she got home, she was so excited. Through the conversation that she had with Betsy, the Holy Spirit really showed Thea that not only did she have a place to plug in, serve, use her gifts, but she had actually already been doing it for years. And it was really kind of in this area, in this niche spot, or, or what sometimes feels like a niche spot of hospitality. Simply put, she never really saw her ministry of hospitality as ministry. She kind of looked at it like, well, I'm a people person, I'm an extrovert, I enjoy hanging out, but she never really saw it as ministry. I'm reading through a book right now called The Simplest Way to Change the World. Kind of the subtitle is Biblical Hospitality. And it's all about, you guessed it, biblical hospitality. In the book, the authors make the point that many people within the church think of ministry as something that kind of happens out there not inside the, the four walls of their home. Ministry happens somewhere outside of their house. And I think that out there is most often the church building. Most people would say ministry happens at the church building, not in my home. We see the building here as the place where meaningful ministry happens. However, since most of us are only at a church building for maybe two hours a week, it doesn't afford us much time to be living on mission. I think that's why sometimes... More, more than just Thea, many of us at times feel like I don't really have a place. I'm not sure where my, my connection spot is. What does it look like for me to live on mission? Because we picture it as just happening at the church and we're only at the church for a few hours, one day a week. How does that translate to a life lived on mission? My guess is that Thea, like I said, is far from the only one who doesn't see hospitality as a powerful weapon in God's economy. Again, I use that term weapon. You're like, weapon? I told you, I promise, we're going to get to that a little bit later. But the authors of this book that I was referring to, they also make the statement that I, I definitely agree with, is that many Christians have a, uh, a growing cynicism about their role in God's plan to reconcile the world back to himself. There may be many of us who don't see a way to join in what God's doing. 
at least not in a way that seems meaningful to us. We see maybe Pastor Dan preaching. We hear about Kendra with Out of the Cold. We maybe buy some candy bars for the to bless the, the inmates at the Center County Correctional Facility, or we do adopt a family around the Christmas time. We have these kind of snapshots this day. We do serve week where we bless somebody for a day or two, but we have these little kind of snapshots. We participate in the food pack all throughout the year, but but even when you add them all together, it's it's a week, it's two weeks, it's three weeks, maybe of the whole year where we feel like, hey, I was really doing something meaningful. The rest of the time, it can feel kind of empty. I get up, I go to work, I come home, I do dishes, I do laundry, I eat, I go to bed, I repeat, I repeat, I repeat. I'd like to humbly suggest that we may be overlooking biblical hospitality as one of maybe the primary outlets that we've been given as the church to participate in meaningful ministry in our day-to-day lives. I'd like to take a, a few minutes, or merely the rest of our time, to look a bit closer at these verses in 2 Corinthians 5. I know that the word hospitality uh, doesn't actually appear in these verses. It might be kind of like, well, why are we reading verses? these verses when we're talking about hospitality? It's not even mentioned here. But I believe that the heart of biblical hospitality is present along with the answer to why hospitality? What makes hospitality important? What makes hospitality uh, effective? What gives uh, dinner at my house any kind of eternal weight? Right? We've, I've had dinner at my house lots of times. It doesn't often feel like eternity hangs in the balance. But, but the reality is there's something about hospitality that God has ordained, has blessed, has provisioned, has planned to be a key part of his mission here on earth. So the first point I want to bring up is this idea of hospitality helps bring reconciliation into view. God is at work. We just read, he is at work to reconcile the world back to himself. You can't separate reconciliation from salvation. There isn't any space between the two. Salvation is reconciliation. There is no salvation apart from relationship with God through Jesus, and there is no reconciliation apart from relationship. A key aspect of God's work is his inviting us, welcoming us in. Scripture begins with a garden, and it ends with a city. Garden in in Genesis, city in Revelation. And both were created by God so that we could live with him. There's this continuing invitation in. And and the, the invitation is reconciliation, but the invitation is also hospitality. The invitation is also relationship. The invitation is salvation. You can't divide all these up. They they go hand in hand with each other. So this may go without saying, but the reconciliation that God is working towards is the reconciliation of relationships. God's desire is to have a personal relationship with you, with me, with everyone that we know. His hospitality knows no bounds. This invitation in, it's not an offer made only to family or to friends or even just to strangers. But, but biblical hospitality, God's hospitality, it's a hospitality that actually seeks to change enemies into family. It's the overflowing hospitality of God that begins to paint a picture in the hearts and minds of people of what life lived in relationship with God might look like. To the natural eye, the invitation into a home for a meal doesn't seem like so much. But when God's people choose to lean into it, 
There's a divine element to it that stirs the hearts of those that we invite into our homes and into our lives. That hospitality begins to paint a picture of reconciliation. And we're in the reconciliation business. Now, I don't want to make it sound like, you know, what God's doing, our, you know, our ministry in the world, it's not business, but you'll understand what I mean. Our Heavenly Father has handed us, His church, His bride, His children, this ministry of reconciliation. How exactly it plays out may morph a little bit over the distance of culture and time, but the practice of hospitality is still at the heart of reconciliation. Hospitality has stayed at the center of our mission because it hasn't moved out of the center of God's heart. It's peppered all throughout Scripture. The story of Scripture begins with a garden and ends with a city, like I said. Both places created so that we can live with God and God can live with us. Both places constitute an invitation from God to every single one of us to be reconciled back into relationship with Him. And biblical hospitality has, since the beginning of time, straight through until now, been radically countercultural. There was a time you can read in the Old Testament when God told his people, and it was, a, it was an agricultural economy, right? So their money was, was made by what they grew. And he would actually tell them, hey, when you're harvesting whatever you've grown, whether it's wheat, grapes, whatever it is, he would say, don't, don't harvest all the way to the ends of your field. Or don't go through a second time and make sure you got everything that you missed because I want you to live hospitable lives. I want you to leave something behind so that those in need can find something, some food to bring home for themselves or their family. You can see it with Jesus sitting and talking with the woman at the well, a woman whose history has kind of gotten her to a place where she comes to the well when nobody else is there because nobody wants to see her, nobody wants to talk to her. And Jesus sits down, sends his disciples away so that he can have a one-on-one meaningful conversation with a woman that nobody else really wants to connect with, nobody else wants to be associated with. This is the biblical hospitality. And for us, to you and I, not allowing our calendars to be filled with nothing other than activities centered around only ourselves and our families. It's countercultural. Biblical hospitality will forever be. A hundred years from now, if Christ hasn't returned, it will continue to be countercultural. And the third truth I want to point out from these verses is simply the reality that we are God's ambassadors. Hospitality may well have a certain amount of power in and of itself, I think, you know, even if somebody outside the kingdom of God, somebody who doesn't know Jesus, decides to try to invite other people in, it's going to make an impact. It's going to have a difference. People are going to feel like they've been seen and known and loved. So I think that hospitality by itself certainly can make a difference. It can have an impact. But what makes biblical hospitality so powerful for you and I is the reality that we have been named the ambassadors of God. We have the literal presence of God living inside of us through the Holy Spirit. There is an authority to who we are and to what we do. An ambassador, I looked up the definition, ambassador is defined as an accredited diplomat sent by a country as its official representative. Maybe you've heard this before and maybe you haven't, but I want, I want to say something to you that is completely true and, and at times it may sound completely <laughs> unrealistic or too hard to believe. But you and I, anybody who's accepted Christ, anybody who's become an apprentice of Jesus, we are accredited ambassadors of the kingdom of God. Accredited by what? Accredited by 
education, accredited by good works, accredited by how well we live out the Christian life. No, none of those things. We're accredited by the reality of a new creation. It says in in verse 17, I'll read it again. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, they are a new creation. Behold, the old has gone, the new has come. Christ has come into our lives. He's not just forgiven of, of our sins. Yes, that. But we have been recreated. We are brand new creations and we've been created in the image of Christ as the sons and daughters of God and as the ambassadors, the accredited diplomats of the kingdom of God. So when we open our homes to those around us, it's a picture of God's invitation to be reconciled to him. Imagine having the ambassador of France. I'm just going to kind of make up a scenario, but it was it, it was both humorous and impactful for me. So imagine having the ambassador of France to the United States asked to have you over for dinner because according to him, the president of France cares about you. Honestly, what would you be thinking? Here's what popped into my mind. One, this is a mistake. <laughs> I'm Scott Letty. You apparently meant to email somebody else, right? You've reached out to the wrong person. Two, this is some kind of a hidden camera show, right? I'm going to accept this invitation, start looking for my best clothes, and then some cameraman's going to walk out of my closet and everybody's going to be laughing that I actually thought the ambassador of France was inviting me to dinner. Third, maybe the, maybe the hardest to swallow, just, it's just some kind of cruel joke. Like, I'm nobody. I, I know I'm, I'm, I'm a nobody. Nobody really knows my name. And it's just a cruel joke to think that somebody of that level of importance, that the, the king of France or the president of France or even his ambassador would know who I was and want to have dinner with me. But we have, we have the opportunity as the ambassadors of Christ, when we have someone in our home, we can actually say, or even just not, even if we're not saying it verbally to them, we can know in our own hearts with complete sincerity that as an ambassador of God, I'm inviting this person into my home because my God cares about them. He cares about them. There's this authority that comes from understanding who we are as sons and daughters of God, who we are as ambassadors of Christ. And when we open our home, it's not simply opening our home. When we invite somebody over for a meal, it's not simply them coming over for a meal. It's not pride. It's just grasping the truth of they're sitting down at my table and I am an ambassador of Jesus Christ, the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And I'm letting them know simply by inviting them into my home that I see them and because I see them, my father sees them. I care about their lives because my father cares about his life. I've experienced the overflowing hospitality of God and now I'm allowing that hospitality to flow through me to those around me. So, If hospitality is at the heart of seeing people reconciled to the Father, and seeing people reconciled to the Father is the heartbeat of the Father, and we are the ambassadors of Christ in our neighborhoods, our workplaces, within our families, within our friend groups, what steps can you take to intentionally use your house as a hospital for the hurting? What steps can you take to have your house become a weapon against the plans and purposes of the enemy where you live? I I mentioned this earlier. I said, hey, you know, weapon, that just sounds so militaristic. Weapon, that sounds like, well, you know, like our battle's not against flesh and blood. No, our homes aren't meant to be a weapon against people. Our homes are meant to be a weapon against the plans and purposes of the enemy. Our, Our homes are meant to be hospitals where we can invite the sick to come in 
and be mended, be healed, experience the love of Christ. It's where we invite those who feel like they're not seen to be seen, to feel like they're not loved to be loved. People who feel like maybe they're on the periphery, nobody cares, to invite them in and say, I see you and I care. And the reason why I see you and the reason why I care is because my father sees you and because my father cares. So what does it look like for us to be intentional, to live biblically hospitable lives? How do we practice this idea of hospitality? Well, let me tell you this. Nobody accidentally lives a hospitable life. Maybe in some other culture, in some other time, I would, I would lean no, but maybe, maybe. But in our culture, in our time, I, I don't think anybody is going to accidentally live a hospitable life. Now, to be fair, there aren't many aspects of the nature of God or Christ that come naturally to us. We're not naturally going to live like Jesus without the help of the Holy Spirit at work in us. But on top of that, our entire culture pushes back against biblical hospitality. I mean, we spend, our, we spend all of our time at work. We come home so we can relax, so that we can be entertained, so that we can recharge. You know, it's like, is that too much to ask? My home is my, my castle, my haven, my safe spot. You know, that's where I go to not have to do any of these other things, not give of myself any more than I've already given. And then you sprinkle into that just the pulls of, and the distractions of social media, the, the black holes that we sink so much of our time and our attention into, and on and on and on, consumerism. Hospitality is like the anti-consumerism. Consumerism is all about getting what I want as quickly and as easily as I can get in, as cheaply as I want it. Hospitality is all about disadvantaging myself so that somebody else can experience life. Putting aside things that I want so that I can help somebody else be seen and loved and served. It's going to require sacrifice. It's going to take a level of intentionality that will probably surprise you, surprise even me. Let me say this. I think this may be one of the most natural next steps that I can give you. Put it in your schedule. There's nothing unspiritual about scheduling a time to invite someone into your house, into your life. The intentionality of scheduling it actually shows just how important it is to you. So maybe your next step is, is to find a day a month, a day a week. I don't know, wherever you are, whatever your next step may be, find a day a month that you uh, set aside for intentional hospitality. First Monday of every month, that's the day that we're going to seek to have somebody in. We're going to invite somebody into our home. We're going to open our doors. We're going to spread out food on our dining room table. We're going to let somebody feel known and seen and loved and served. We talk often about the vision of seeing the number of Christ followers doubled by 2030. I believe that we're going to see it happen when we begin to have the widespread realization that every single one of us is an ambassador of Christ. Every single one of us can begin to fight on behalf of those around us and that every single one of us can make an eternal difference where we live. And I really believe that this idea of hospitality may be the answer. Let me just take a minute to pray for us. Father, I thank you that so much of who you are, so much of your gospel, so much of your message to us, so much of the example that you set for us to follow, it's, it's not overly complicated. It's not overly complex. So many of the principles of your kingdom are simple. Not easy, but simple. 
hospitality, it feels like such a simple thing. Make space for somebody to be invited into my life, into my home. But Lord, so often we overlook it. And there's so many of us that don't necessarily see a way for us to engage in the mission and vision that you've given us. We don't see a way for us to actively participate regularly, daily even, with, with your mission to reconcile a lost world to yourself. And God, I pray that you, by your Holy Spirit, would just speak to us individually and corporately, that you would help us to see this gift, this tool, this resource, even this weapon that you've given us against the darkness, this idea of hospitality, biblical hospitality. God, help us to see what our next step is. And Lord, this could be a massive stretch for a lot of us. Some of this, this might come a little more naturally. Some of us, this may feel like a leap of faith. But God, I just pray that you would help us, each of us, see what that next step is so that we can live more authentically Jesus-focused, God, that our, our hearts would align with your hearts and that we could live biblically hospitable lives. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.